Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on 101.9 High FM. My guest today is Avital Lang, and we were together in March, and um, we had a wonderful program then, and I got a lot of requests to have her back because she's got so many stories to, to talk about. Our topic will be the story continues and spread the light. But today we have two people whose yachts are today and we'd like to dedicate this program to them and also to in memory of the Holocaust victims. So we dedicate this program to my brother Donald who lived and died with such courage, humor and love. And to Avatar's mom who passed away 25 years ago, Georgetta Harush, and today is her 25th yachtsite. We remember them with love. I would, today is also the annual Holocaust Memorial Remembrance Day, and I received this just before coming on air. It says, I will never forget. I will forever teach my children and all who will listen just what happened when evil took over the world, when once thriving Jewish communities were shattered and lost. To those who fought with the will to live, those with Hashem in their hearts who kept their faith and religion alive even in the darkest of places, and those who risked their lives and fought in the uprisings and in the gas chambers and forests, your courage knew no bounds. We will rem remember what was and what could have been the contributions to the world that never came to fruition, the paintings, music, poetry, Nobel Prizes that would have come about, but alas, their talent was cut short. What can we learn? First, we are one nation. No matter our differences or opinions or religious observance, the Nazis saw no difference, so why should we? Second, we are stronger together than apart. Hashem is always there, even when we can't see him in the tiny sparks of light and hope, even in the Hatikva and the Sheva sung in the gas chambers. I'm so blessed that Hashem gave us our beautiful holy land, Israel, to live as proud Jews, together as one. This came from a young mother in, in Israel, my daughter, Shira Lee Jackson Snapper. Hala Avital. Can you hear me? Did you hear that? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Good morning. Good How morning. I'm fine. How are you today? Would you, did I pronounce your mom's uh, name correctly? Georgette. Yes. Georgette. Okay. Now, I wanted to go back because there were quite a few messages that came through after our program wanting to know a bit more about Isaac. So would you mind just filling in a bit about Isaac? Well, let me just introduce you first. Um, Avital came from Jerusalem, and she came here as a shaliach, an emissary, to teach Jewish youth. The person who met her at the airport ended up being her husband. And when she was in Cape Town, she noticed such discrepancies in how people were living, and it really bothered her. And through a long story, she actually got to Polesmore Prison, where she began to teach art. 
And it was while there that she met this incredible man who was not on her program, but who made contact with her. Avital, can you go on from there? Yeah, I just, if you, with your permission, I would like to just say a few words, um, just to begin with for Am Israel and for whoever listening to us. And also to say that it's not a coincidence. My mother passed away on Erev Yom HaShoah and today is Yom HaShoah. So 25 years later, you know, we are still missing her like it was yesterday. Mm. And I want to say that every morning I read Tehillim and the first sentence that come out of my mouth is, you know, is a song that I read firstly for the people of Israel, for Am Israel, all of personal family. From Am Israel is my family, is my expanded family and that we are all one. And from there I start my day. And today... I understand even in a deeper meaning that my journey here as a single soul is connected to the, to the soul of Am Israel, mm-hmm. that we are one. It's so clear to me. We are all actually souls in a human journey. We are spirit and matter for a certain time. And then again, we change form and we're all asking ourselves, Daily, what are we doing here? What's our mission? What is life and what is death? And from this understanding that the people of Israel is one, this is where I act from. So tikkun olam is a lot of things. But what I'm here to tell people is that even one single action create a ripple effect. If you made someone smile today and you told him he's beautiful, she's beautiful, you made a little tikkun. Tikkun um, in English would be reaching out to others. And there's a, um, of course, in South Africa, we know the word Ubuntu. Okay. So, so the idea is to collect a lot of these and to bring meaning to our life, to, to save a human being or to save a, a pet or to save a tree or to save the people of Israel from Sinat Chinam and why even be angry? And I can't lie to you and say that I'm not angry sometimes and I don't have issues I'm still angry about. But even today on Yom HaShoah and the outside of my mother, I'm telling myself, okay, it's okay to be angry, but forgive those even who never asked you for forgiveness. Still forgive them. So that's my, my, uh, my message. And, and of course, with this message I go, mm-hmm. yeah, I go out there and I try and do good because by doing good, you're really, really making a difference. And I can tell a story about prison when I was doing my program in Posmo prison and I was surrounded with real, I was surrounded with real evil. I mean, let's not joke around. There are people who raped and killed and it was not easy for me to step into that place, but from from the non-judgmental space that I walked in that place with and from the idea of bringing light and making a change and also change the perception about Jewish people. So I was working with this 
adults uh, in uh, Polesmore and were they all male? Were they all? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I was. I was also working at the female prison, but this particular incident happened at the male prison, and I was walking there. I was working there like three times a week, volunteering, and. After a couple of months, I think that they started to trust me. We're going to get back to that shortly. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. I'm back with Abitel Lang, and we're uh, she's on Zoom with me. I'm in the studio. Thank you, Craig. He's with me here. And um, Abitel was about to tell us a, a story. She is an artist, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that, but that's what she was teaching at Polesmore Prison, and she was telling about to tell us a story about the male group that she was teaching art to. Go ahead, please, Abitel. Okay, so at the beginning, uh, you know, we had to build some trust. It's very hard for those people to trust anyone. They're quite suspicious, and uh, they were wondering, what am I doing there? What do I want from them? Uh, what are they going to gain from it? But after a couple of months, we really formed a, a nice bond, and a lot of things started shifting, which was really beautiful to watch. And then one morning, I arrived to the program, and started working, and I all of a sudden see that they are wearing Stars of David's necklaces. Magandovids. Yes. Yeah. And I thought to myself, okay, what is going on here? <laughs> so they, they're all smiling to me, and I said to them, guys, what's going on here? Where? I don't want to even ask, where did you get this Star of David's, but what is the whole idea? So the the gang leader said to me, you know, we want to show solidarity with the Jews because you're the only Jewish woman who came to give us and don't want anything from us. We have never met a person who wants nothing from us. Do you want us to kill someone? Do you want us to rob someone? <laughs> no. Oh, my God. So they said, I said to them, but I just want you to not hurt anyone. And they said to me, well, we're definitely not going to hurt Jews anymore. Huh. Wow. And um, I didn't know what to say about that. I was quite shocked. I didn't want to ask them where did they get the Stars of David from. But when I came home, I didn't know it was funny in a way because I thought to myself, okay, they probably – sent someone to steal them from somewhere. I, I, could, I couldn't even <laughs> imagine that. But I was quite amazed that I managed to form a bond with very hardcore criminals and that they appreciated it. Absolutely. They learned some appreciation. And then uh, we had also another project in prison which called the Bird Project, which I did not initiate. A very nice gentleman initiated this program he was an officer in the prison that retired. Uh, his name was Mr. Chrisse. And I was also quite amazed to see how um, working with little birds gave the inmates so much appreciation and gratitude and just to care for that little Aww. 
creature. Yeah, they were putting them in their shirts. They were feeding them. Were they budgies? What sort of birds? Budgies. They were budgies and parakeets and lovebirds and senegals, all kinds. This is where I started falling in love with birds from the bird project. And I used to buy the birds from them and work with my own little students uh, and work with students with depression and anxiety and the birds were all hand reared and they were amazing. Mm. It was a wonderful project that I was very sorry that they closed it down, but that was also another wonderful story to tell. And please tell me the story of when you had to turn your back because of some tools. Tell us about (laughs) the tools that you had that you were allowed to take into the prison, first of all. <laughs> of course. Um, when you walk into the prison, you have to hand over your bag, your cell phone, everything. So only my tools for ceramic. We were doing sculptures, and uh, I was allowed to bring the clay and my tools. And because I knew that I'm in that kind of an environment, I marked each tool with a number. So at the end of the lesson, I counted the tools and I've seen that I'm missing five tools. And I thought to myself, oh my God, what am I going to do? These tools, you know, they're sharp and they can use them to hurt each other. So I don't know where I brought the courage from, but I said to them, I'm missing five tools. I'm going to turn my back into the wall and I'll wait one minute. And when I turn back, there will be my tools on the table. And if not, then you're not going to see my face ever again. Mm. And I'm sure you won't like that because I don't see a queue of people standing here to help you. Mm. So I trust you and I'm going to turn my back now. So while I turned my back, I looked at the wall and I thought <laughs> to myself, what are you thinking? Absolutely. You're turning your back on 15 murderers, they can so easily choke you and kill you. But I had a trust. I had a trust in my heart. And when I turned around, I heard them arguing in this prison language called Sabella. They were arguing in Sabella. And I turned around and through as God, all the tools were on the table. Mm -hmm. And there was an apology that it will never happen again. So I was very impressed. I was quite impressed that they returned the tools and that they had that respect. Well, I'm incredibly impressed that you turned your back on them when they they had those sharpened tools in their hands. But how wonderful that you actually trusted. You know, the Talmud says, do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now, love mercy now, walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. And that comes from the Talmud. And you you definitely never abandoned the work that you had decided that you were going to do. Now, I think we need to, anyone who would like to uh, listen to the previous podcast, you'll find a lot of news on there, a lot about this, and really enjoy it. Please go on to the Chai FM Finding Human podcast. Look under uh, Avital Lang, and you'll, you'll find it there. Avital, tell me how you met Isaac Hendricks and what he became in your family. So Isaac, um, I'll start from the from the last to the beginning. Isaac became a member of our family, and he lived with us for twelve years. 
He also came with us to Israel for a period of one year. And um, I actually need to send you the videos of what Isaac done on Yom Ma'ut for Israel here in Cape Town. He walked around with the Israeli flag. uh, (laughs) In Cape Town, of all places. In Cape Town. He was actually attacked for that, but he was a very proud, very, very proud Zionist. (laughs) And um, in Israel, he felt very, very welcome and very, very happy. In fact, when we said we're going back, he went into a depression. He did not want to come back. Because he felt so loved, so welcomed. And um, Isaac had the most amazing talent for music. And in Israel, he went to a special music school and they fell in love with him there. He went there every day, was playing beautiful gigs with people. Hmm. And they all called him Jimi Hendrix because he surnamed is Hendrix. So they all called him Jimi Hendrix in Israel. He was very happy there. He he told me, I feel I found home. Oh. He wanted to stay there, yeah. In Cape Town, it was difficult for him. He grew up in a very difficult environment, very abusive environment. It was very difficult for him. He never felt loved. The first time um, we celebrated Isaac's birthday, I, may, I, I ordered him a cake uh, with... Um, a music note, a very like fancy, lovely cake. And he was so touched. He cried and cried. Aww. And then he wouldn't let any of us eat the cake. He froze Aww. it in the freezer. <laughs> How yeah, old was he, he then? How old did he turn? He was 32. Aww. And that was it his was, first cake ever. Yeah. Yeah. So he didn't want to eat it. <laughs> he was so excited. And, um, I think that he found, you know, he found love and he found home within all of us. How did he come to live with you? Was he initially in prison? He was initially in prison. He wasn't in my program, but he called me. He found my number. He called me. He he presented himself as Isaac, and he said he's in charge of the music band in prison, and they struggle for instruments. And I made a deal with them, and I told them, you sent me through the wardens some um, video clips of you playing, and if you are serious and I will I will hear it in your music, then I will definitely support you. So oh, one of the wardens sent me beautiful video clips of Isaac playing from piano to the violin <laughs> to mm. guitar, and I thought to myself, really, my mouth dropped. I thought I never heard such music in my life. And I asked him, where did you copy it from? He said, no, I don't copy. It's me creating. Mm. And then I realized this is a very, very musical genius. Mm. And I, needless to say, I bought him a guitar and I started working with Isaac closely. And I saw um that he was not really a criminal. He was not a criminal in his nature at all. And why and he was he in Polsmoor? He was in for uh, uh, stolen goods. Oh. So I helped him in his parole process, and he expressed, he told me he doesn't want to go back to the Cape Flats because he won't have a choice but being a gangster there, mm. and he doesn't want that. 
mm-hmm. and uh, we offered him a place to stay in um, in our neighborhood, not with us to begin with. He was staying with a friend, and he worked for us. Then he worked in the gallery, and very quickly he learned how to sculpture and how to paint. And I really realized that this guy is very multi-talented, very, very talented. So this was in your gallery? In my gallery and studio, yes. And then uh, he just naturally joined us. He started joining us for Shabbat dinners. And then he started teaching the kids guitar and playing for my friend's wedding, bringing mm. bands. So he was very busy. He was very, very busy and he was happy and excited. He wanted to learn everything. He decided that he would learn Hebrew. And he sat with a dictionary and he taught himself Hebrew. Good heavens. He, he learned the whole alphabet. He used to write me little notes. And I I was laughing all the time, finding funny notes from Isaac trying <laughs> to interpret. What did he try to say? Uh, Writing in Hebrew. Um, yeah, what? in Hebrew. <laughs> Hebrew. Amazing. And when we arrived to Israel, he was managing to read the road signs and he could very quickly make a conversation and understand what people are saying. So, you know, give him one more year in Israel, he would have spoken the language. Amazing. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So very, he, came, he, he came to live with you. Did he have an, uh, um, uh, was, did he get on well with your husband and your children? Yes. He got along very well with everyone. We all knew that Isaac has got a side to him that we're not we're, we're not aware of because at the end of the day, this is where he grew up, and he had um, a lot of sadness in him. So we did take him to uh, see a therapist, and there was a lot of tears. He had a lot of trauma, mm. a lot, a lot of trauma in him, mm. and it was very hard for him. On one hand. He was that happy guy that wanted to do music and change the world. And he had a dream. He wanted to make a music school for the underprivileged children. And he always told me that there's so much talent there that he wants to do that. Mm. And on the other hand, he had that dark cloud sitting on him and often was taking over. And then did he go into a depression when that took over? Or did he go back onto you know, drugs or what happened? That's what happened with Isaac. Uh, after COVID, he was actually very good with us uh, at home. We, we was in lockdown and we were creating and inspiring and making music and cooking. And then um, after COVID, he felt very depressed and he started using drugs again uh, which took him to see this bunch of friends that he was probably smoking with and one of them uh, hit Isaac with a brick on his head and the problem was that Isaac had a slow internal bleeding that he was not aware of so he still came home and um he was injured, but there was no blood. So I thought, okay, maybe it's just one of those times where he needs to rest. And he rested for two days, and then we seen that he is not well. So we called Ezra, and uh, they came, and the paramedics checked him, and they did suspect that there was a bleed. So they took him to 
Krotoskir Hospital. Now, and he is, was there for sorry, Ezra is the, the Jewish, um, um, yeah, medical it's the thing. Jewish paramedics, yes. Okay, in, in so, Cape Town. Yeah, they took him to Krutuskir Hospital, and then for 10 days he was there. I was calling maybe 20 times a day. Were you not allowed to see him? I was not allowed in because of COVID. Oh. It was COVID time. Oh. So I went, and I uh, went to the reception, and they brought him down to me on a wheelchair, and he looked very sad. He was very emotional. He was crying. I spoke to the doctor. She said he's doing fine. They're not going to do any operation. And, you know, the bottom line is that Isaac was murdered twice. You know, he was murdered for his attacker, and then he was murdered by medical negligence, oh, unfortunately. No. Yeah. They called and told me that he's perfectly fine. I must come and fetch him. And that was one of the happiest days. The 8th of September, I drove there, and I couldn't wait to take him back home. And I put him in the car. He held my hand, and he was so emotional. He cried, uh, but he didn't look like someone who's going to die. He he was just very sad and very emotional. And we, I was talking to him all the way, putting his favorite music, and I told him that, you know, maybe it was a, a wake-up call, and now he realized that... Maybe it's time to gather himself and move to Israel and start his music career like he always dreamt about. And when we arrived home, uh, I really, I put him in bed and I sat next to him. I held his hand and almost like a scene from a movie, he just died. Mm. So he died in my arms. And two years prior to that, I had the dream and I was very worried about this dream and I told Isaac that in the dream there was a short guy, a dark of complexion that hit him very hard and that he fell in my arms in the dream and he said to me, so what happened to me? I said to him, I don't know, but I was very, very sad. You fell in my arms. So he said, but that's not such a bad dream because if I'll die in your arms, then it's a blessing. And I never forgot that dream because every time he went out with his friends, I was like very worried, worried that this dream will actually come true. And it did. He did die in my arms. And it's almost like he waited to arrive home. Mm, mm. So, I'm glad he died at home uh, in loving hands and not in hospital. Um, the hospital didn't treat him well at all not to mention what happened after he died. But we tried to do our very best to give him the best um, uh, farewell. Uh, So we took him to the beach. We're going to get back to that. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program, and I'm back with Abitel Lang, and we are talking about the story continues about Isaac uh, Hendricks' story. And if you'd like to contact contact us, please do so on three four five one nine, or you can telegram us on zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine. Right, Avital, I'm back to you. And one of the messages that did come through um, when it was put on Facebook was, could you tell us your the relationship of your children? What do you feel your children learnt from Isaac? 
Wow, they learned a lot. Um, they matured. They learned a lot about true love. Um, my children made the most amazing uh, speeches for Isaac Farewell. And not even I knew at that time how what a big impact Isaac had on them. How old um, were they at the time when he first came to live? Daniel, my daughter Danielle was 18 and my son was four years earlier, 14. Gosh. So when he passed away. Oh, yeah. But they, he had been yeah, living with you for a long time before that. We basically raised them because... Gosh. Yeah, yeah. So he was going with them to soccer, to karate, and to music, and he was just there all the time with them. So they were very attached to him. My daughter said at his funeral that he was her lion and Aww. that she never felt afraid or unprotected uh, when he was around. She always knew that everything's going to be okay because Isaac is there. Aww. And yeah, and my son said that, you know, he never had a big brother. And for him, that was his brother. Isn't so, that beautiful? Yeah, it so was you, very hard for the kids to say goodbye. But they also, you know, when they write about it and when they talk to friends about it, they understand how terrible is the use of drugs and what it can do to you mm, mm. and the dark places it can take you. I'm sure. So you must have got a terrible shock when you when he suddenly died like that within a few minutes of getting home. Could you believe it, it at first? No, I didn't believe it. I took my iPhone watch and I put it on his wrist because I was sitting next to him and I noticed that he's breathing. I was patting his head and I told him that everything's going to be fine. And I called the hospital and I said, you know, I just took Isaac home. And I want to ask you a few questions. Firstly, he's breathing very fast and uh, he doesn't look very all right. You said he's perfectly fine. And what if he'll have? So the doctor said, oh, he might have a seizure, but that's fine. And if he does that, you just turn him on the side and you make sure his airways are open. And um, then I called him again and I said that his pulse is very fast because I'm watching his... Um, his um, watch on the wrist and they said he's just very emotional probably and all that you know obviously on a soul level I realize something is terribly wrong here but on a human level I just thought okay maybe it's true maybe he is very emotional and I mustn't leave his side so I sat next to him in bed and I patted him and I wiped his forehead and um, then I saw, I called Ezra regardless because obviously I knew that something's not right and I said to them to please come. But um, I saw that the pulse is going down on the watch. So I was very happy because I thought he had a panic attack and now his pulse is going down. So from 160 it went down to 80 and then I thought, thank God. Because uh, when you have an anxiety attack, very easily you can have your pulse mm, racing. Mm. So I thought, okay, Ezra's on the way and the pulse is coming down. Meanwhile, he was basically... Um, Shut him down. Mm, mm. Yeah, he took his last breath while he was looking at me straight in the eyes. And then 
He closed his eyes and I thought, I told him, that's wonderful that you're falling asleep and you're okay and I'm going to be here right next to you and the doctor's on the way, he's going to check you. And when they arrived, I told them, there he is, he just fell asleep. And they said to me, please move aside, he's not asleep, he's dead. I said, no, 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 he's not dead, he's sleeping. Isaac is definitely not dead. And I saw them doing a, um, they're doing electric uh, shock and they're doing all kind of things and Isaac's not responding. So I took my tahili mahot and I started praying very loud. And I said, Isaac, stop it with the stupid tricks, you know, just open your eyes. You were here a second ago. I just fetched you. And no, the shock was very big. I think that for a whole month I was just not realizing what's going on. And what happened after he died could only happen to Isaac because <laughs> Isaac was such a drama, a dramatic person. So <laughs> when he died, um, I didn't really know what to do. I was so shocked. The police came and they took him and they said that because he was attacked, now it's going to be turning into a murder case. So they're taking him. And uh, because Isaac didn't really have any contact with his family. We were his immediate family. So I was very shocked to discover that um, two weeks after, it took me about a week to organize the funeral. Also, I had to sit and think, what would Isaac want? And I knew that he wanted to be in Maiden Cove on the beach where he writes his music and where he goes there all the time. And this is where we decided to do the impossible possible and we made sure that this is where he's going to be. Oh, um, amazing. I mean, I've never yeah, heard of brought... that before. I saw it on your YouTube, and I, I couldn't believe. All in white, <laughs> everything white. Yeah, we all had to be in white because Isaac always wanted to uh, one day get married on the beach wearing white, and we wanted to send him off in white with white doves and white balloons and his music. And all the love that we could give him. Those those doves actually I found very um, symbolic, especially because you started your journey at Pelsmore through the bird true. project. That's true. And here yeah. you were letting birds go as you let uh, Isaac go free. Yeah, hmm. very true. So um, it took a while for me to call and find out. I wanted to know uh, if the autopsy report is ready and I learned uh, from the doctor who spoke to me uh, that she didn't do the autopsy yet. And I asked her, but how is that possible? Because we buried Isaac three weeks ago. And she said, oh, I've got Isaac's brain in a jar. Oh and gosh. that was such a big shock. Yeah, it was too terrible. It was shocking. And again, I had to... I had to do a lot of questioning around that. Why did they take it? Um, who, who allowed them to do that? And then I made them, um, sign all kind of things and give it back to, give it back to Isaac. So we had to buy another small little coffin and go and do a second funeral mm. and, um, put it where it belongs in the other coffin. Which was very, it was very traumatizing. It must but have at the been. end of the day, yeah, at the end of the day, I felt that he's not at peace. And when we finished that, I felt that Isaac is fine. He's okay now. 
This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Abitel Lang on 101.9 High FM on the Finding Human program. And I know that the time is, Craig's going to be telling me shortly to wrap up. But I wanted to, first of all, someone asked also, um, about the exhibition that you were going to have an exhibition of paintings that you did of Isaac. Um, when is this exhibition going to be held? So I sent it to many uh, places in South Africa, yet we did not get any like serious proposal uh, to exhibit, but we did get uh, a proposal from uh, Beit Zioner America in Israel, in Tel Aviv, that they are, they are very interested in Isaac's story and uh, the lions and the, the drawings of Isaac. And we're probably going to exhibit it in Israel in July. And I would continue looking for spaces to exhibit that story because at the end of the day, you know, Isaac's story of death was traumatizing, yes, but the the big lesson is, first of all, um, his soul is there forever. I always feel him around us, and I feel him even guiding us from time to time. So I'm not going to be uh, busy with the hospital and with the medical negligence and all that. This all already happened, and I mustn't dwell there. So... Isaac wanted so much to help others, and while he was alive, we did. We went to feed many poor people. We were teaching in the book up um, street kids to do art and to play music, and this is what we should continue doing, is to continue do good and continue the legacy of what Isaac really was all about and what he taught us, actually, to to do. There was a, a talk that Isaac organized at uh, uh, Mitchell's plane in a church, and they invited me for Women's Day. And Isaac told me, don't worry, it's only going to be 50 women. And I told him I don't really like to speak in public, but and I don't even know what to speak about. And he said, oh, just your presence will be great. So we went there, and Isaac escorted me, and the next thing, there's an audience of 400 people at least, and I got so worried. (laughs) And they bring me flowers and presents, and then they're all sitting and waiting for me to speak. And I looked at Isaac, and I said to him, oh, my God, I'm going to kill you what you did to me. He said, don't worry, just speak. So I told the audience, you know, I never prepared any speech because I thought I'm here for Women's Day. But I suggest we do questions and answers. And the first question that came through made me understand that the people that arrived were very, um, to say, uh, they knew very little about Israel. And the first question came, you know, as the chosen people, um, we want to ask you a question. When does a Jewish woman get her period? So I took me a second to understand. I said, like any other girl around the world. She said, but you are special. Hmm. I said, how, how? just explain me what are you thinking. They said, you are chosen people and you got special powers. And I thought I would really love to believe that, but <laughs> we don't have special powers. And then I seen that all the questions the audience was asking, 
is about what powers do we have as a chosen people. Mm. So eventually I realized, okay, this is an opportunity for me to actually make a difference because there's a lot of people here. And um, I said, you know what our real task is as Jews is to bring peace, shalom, and balance, and free love, and to be all aguim. And when it says all aguim, it's to be a light. So if that's what you're referring to as power, then I'll take the compliment and I will try and do my best. And um, I also wanted to change their perception about it because I asked them, tell me what you think about us as a Jewish nation. So some people said lovely things and some people said things that are not so pleasant to the ear. Mm. But mm. I understood that this is where anti-Semitism coming from actually from a lack of knowledge ignorance mm, absolutely ignorance. so you had yeah. a chance there and then i think you mentioned to me something about blessings that they wanted what, yes yes what so was they that? all came to the stage and isaac couldn't stop laughing because he knew how i would feel he couldn't stop laughing because uh, the people came and they asked me to touch their their heads and bless them and I said, you know, I don't understand what you want, but I'll do it. I'll do it anyway. But, you know, I'm not I'm not a holy person. And they said, no, 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 you are. So I had to touch everyone's head so they felt that they are blessed. And then Isaac said to me, does it really matter, Avital? If they believe that you are blessed and you are blessing them, does it really matter? Because you made 400 people feel very happy and they went home happy. How wonderful. And I so I agreed with him at the end. I said to him, you know what, you're right. You remind me once that um, I had two students and one has done a, a sunset of um, Table Mountain and all, you know, from his head. And the other one was copy to the dot, copying. And then they asked me, which one is better? <laughs> and I said, they're both wonderful. You chose that way. This one chose that way, but the result is wonderful. Wonderful. They must take the cable car to see Table Mountain or to do a hike. At the end of the day, you see the same sunset. So the bottom line is I bless them not knowing uh, that I actually can do that. We all can. Wonderful. And on that note of blessing, I'm being told to wrap up. I would just like to just end with this of what um, the Rebbe said. Rebbe Mendel, Menachem Mendel Schneerson, if you see what needs to be repaired and how to repair it, then you have found a piece of the world that God has left for you to complete. But if you only see what is wrong and what is ugly in the world, then it is you yourself that needs repair. Thank you so much, Avital, for being on my program. Please look up Avital Lang on Facebook and on um YouTube and you'll see her there. Thank you and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you, Craig.